You're listening to Happy Healthy Hormones with Dr. Chris. Are you tired of the short-term patch to your health problems? Is avoiding medications and surgeries important to you? If you answered yes, then your prayers have been answered. Dr. Chris has been helping people transform their health for over a decade. He's a world-renowned health expert who specializes in holistic health. He's a professional speaker, chiropractor, and international best-selling author. It's his mission to help you reach your full God-given potential through holistic health and healing. Get ready to be inspired and transformed. Here's your host, Dr. Chris. Hello and welcome once again, everyone, to the show where disease takes a dive and people come to thrive. You're listening to Dr. Chris here, and I'm going to be teaching you some cool things today. we got a great episode for you. I'm going to be teaching you about the best benefits and the best types of fibers, and fibers are huge. We're going to be talking about um, soluble fiber, the top 20 fiber foods and their benefits could help you, not just with your digestive health, because people think that that's what it's all about, but great high-density fiber foods can help you with a multiple array of areas of your health. So we're going to be getting into that today. But I want to first share with you a little story today that happened to me just uh, this last week. And this is not even related, but I think it's pretty cool. And it gives a testament to how the body heals and how our bodies can do what it needs to do. And, and, and we have everything inside of our bodies to help it heal and that we don't always have to run out to the medical system for medications or surgeries or that crisis care. That if we can just take a step back and really analyze the situation, take it all in and understand that it might not be as big of a deal as we think it is or that even the doctor might think it is, then we could actually save ourselves from putting some pretty bad stuff in our body and setting, some, setting ourselves up for some even worse situations. So... This past weekend, I was out in my yard and I was doing some gardening and getting some things ready for the springtime and I was back in, but I had started the sprinkler system. And so all of a sudden I was inside working on some stuff and I realized that the system finally turned on at the garden. So I was going to go out there and check it. And so there's a connection from our house. We kind of live up on a hill and there is a stairway down to where this garden is and it's a metal stairway. So it's actually metal grates. It's not a solid surface at all. And so I I ran out there. I was on my bare feet. Um, I run out there and I'm clipping along pretty good pace running down those stairs and about the third step, I feel something kind of pinch me, almost maybe like a a bug bite or something. No, nothing major, just kind of felt something like, oh, that's weird. And I was always going to keep going on down the stairs when I thought, hey, maybe there's something sharp or a rock or something there that I need to just get cleaned up so the next person doesn't uh, you know, hurt themselves. And so I turned around to look at the stairs and there was a snake hanging from the metal grate. And so there had been a snake there. Now at this point I'm thinking, okay, um, is this a bull snake or a rattlesnake? Because we have both uh, where we live. And so usually it's a bull snake 90% of the time. And so I looked, it was hanging off there and it dropped down below the stairs. And so it's all open underneath there. Cause again, this is a metal grate stairway. And first off, I was totally shocked that a snake it could even work its way up there because it had made its way up like four or five steps up on this thing. And I looked down and it looked like it was a rattlesnake, but I couldn't tell because it was a smaller snake. It was a baby snake and baby rattlesnakes don't have rattlers. And so I had to find out. And so it looked like a rattlesnake. So I actually, I killed it with a rock and then I looked at the tail and sure enough, it was a rattlesnake. Now, 
you know anything about rattlesnakes and poison and babies versus adults, the babies can actually be more dangerous because they can lock, not just lock on, but more so they just don't know how to control their venom volume and they can really megadose you with some venom. And so I go up into the house and I, I talk to my wife I'm like, hey babe, don't freak out, but I just got bit by a rattlesnake. We should probably call 911 to figure out exactly what we need to do because at this point it's literally been just a minute or two since it happened. And I wasn't feeling anything. I wasn't feeling any pain. And so we call 911. They're like, well, hey, we could send an ambulance out. But as far out in the country as we live, it'd be quicker for us to just drive to the hospital. So we drove to the, the ER there and they you know, got checked out and everything. And, you know, the, the protocol is they wanted to, you know, keep me there for about geez, 8 to 12 hours and monitor things. So I'm going through the, the check-in process. And of course, they're asking me about all these, you know, have I had my updated vaccines? Have I had my tetanus shots? All these things, which, you know, have I had my flu shot? Which, of, all, of course, all these things, I think in my head, nope. And I wouldn't do those even if you tried to force me to. But I just went ahead and said, yep, because I don't want to create that whole <laughs> conversation, so to speak. So they got us through. We got in and they're looking at it and it's not spreading up the leg or anything. And I'm literally, I'm in no pain at this point. It's maybe like 45 minutes to an hour in by the time we actually see the doctor. And, you know, they want to do these blood labs and, and these tests and they want to observe me and they want to hook me up to an IV and all these things. But I just took the time to really understand my body. And as I looked and understood and, and take, took a inventory of the situation, like, Hey, I was, I was calm. I wasn't freaking out. I just try to be in a, in the most calm place that I could be in so I can make the best decision for my health. And a lot of times when we get in those ER situations, we need to really take that time to just analyze it and say, okay, is it really as big a deal as I think it is? Um, is this really time for the crisis care? And so, you know, here, I also learned too, that the doctors, man, you know, as much as we try to put doctors up on a pedestal, whether it be a medical doctor, a doctor of chiropractic, naturopath, you name it, is, Hey, none of us know everything. Like we don't know it all. There's just too much out there to know. And so even this, this ER doctor who is a very smart guy, knowledgeable guy, I mean, he had to get out the book and read about it and even call poison control to really know what was going on and what the procedures and all these things are. Um, because there is anti-venom that you can get. It's crazy expensive. It's like about nine to $10,000 to get the series of these, of these anti-venom vials. So I was not really wanting to go through that process, but I didn't want to put stuff in my body that I didn't need to, because I also knew that those, that anti-venom was in fact a medication and that had its own share of medications or, or, or sorry, I should say side effects and symptoms that go along with it as well. So we took the time, things weren't spreading. It had been about two hours. I went ahead and let them run the blood test just to see if there's any coagulation issues. Everything came back fine there. Nothing was spreading from the time they marked where the bite was to the time two hours later, it hadn't spread at all. Um, I wasn't in any pain at all. And so I, you know, I refused to have them do the, 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 uh, saline's, uh, saline solution, you know, the IV didn't need it. Uh, I didn't have them do extra observation, do any other things like that. Um, any additional testing, there was really no need for it. Cause again, at the, at the time there was no issue. Um, really it was really what happened was that I got lucky and, and one in four rattlesnake bites, they will not inject venom. So I happen to be one of those one in four but I, you didn't really know that until a few hours into it, but I just took my time to understand that. And so I never had to go through the anti-venom. 
the doctor was really cool about it. He wasn't trying to force that on me. Um, he, you know, they make you sign a waiver saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going out here against, you know, the, the protocol. So if something bad happens, you know, it's on my, on my end and my responsibility. But at the end of the day, you know, because I was able to take that situation and though it could have been a really scary, um, high stress situation to just take the time to really understand what was going on, what the pros and cons are, what the benefits versus the, the, the bad benefits are, you know, all that and realize, Hey, I was going to be okay. Um, yeah, sure. I saved myself a lot of money not doing it, but that wasn't my, my concern really is, Hey, I just want to do the best thing for my body. I never had to get the antivenom. I didn't have to put any kind of IV in my body and, you know, really turned into about a two to three hour event. Um, Hey, now I have a little tiny bruise on the back of my heel where, um, the bite mark was, but that was it. And so I want you guys to have faith in your bodies and to not get caught up in thinking, Hey, I have to do what the doctor wants me to do right off the bat. I need to get these injections. I need to get these medications. I have to do this crisis care. Um, when a lot of times it's not even necessary. So I thought that was a great example just helping us understand what's really going on in our body, uh, to lead us up to this next category, which is not even related, but it is related because it is related to our health and it's about putting the right things in our body. So just like I didn't want to put that bad stuff in my body, um, we do want to put the good stuff in our body as well. So today I want to talk to you about the 20 soluble fiber foods and their benefits. Now fiber is a, is a type of material found in carbohydrates that the body can't, can, can't digest. Right, so why would you want to put in your body? Well, we get two types of fiber from our diet. So there's a soluble fiber, and there's insoluble fiber. Now, most carbohydrate foods are really high in that are really high in fiber contain both types. You know, though these are um, foods that are going to be really high in fibers that help your body digest and absorb things. But here's the deal: is that although f- foods tend to be higher in one kind than another, they both have both. Now, the benefits of soluble fiber are, are multifold. Now, number one, soluble fiber attracts water, which creates like a gel-like substance in the digestive system that helps slow down digestion, keeps you feeling full between meals and, you know, quote-unquote regular, but it also promotes heart and metabolic health. So most of you probably didn't realize that because so commonly we're just inundated with, hey, it's digestive health, it's digestive health. But here's the deal. Uh, eating soluble fiber, and these are found in high fiber foods like whole grains, legumes, vegetables, and fruits. This can help lower our blood cholesterol and our glucose levels, which really offers some really cool protection against metabolic syndrome, weight gain, um, even conditions like diabetes. So I want you to help understand what soluble uh, fiber really is. So the definition of soluble fiber is fiber that dissolves in water and it's viscous and fermentable. Insoluble fiber is different than soluble fiber because it doesn't dissolve in water and remains intact while it travels through our digestive system. So one way you can tell if a food is higher in soluble fiber than insoluble fiber is to add water to it. And if it appears to absorb water and become gel-like, when that happens with foods like, you know, flax seeds or oatmeal, then it contains a good deal of soluble fiber. Um, So what are the best soluble fiber foods? Well, some of the uh, most I say the best soluble fiber foods include oat bran, barley, uh, seeds and legumes like lentils or navy beans, but that's not all. So um, we're going to get into that a lot more. Now, there's a lot of benefits in soluble fiber. Number one, it promotes cardiovascular health. So why is that so good? Well, studies suggest that eating a diet 
that's high in soluble fiber can help lower your risk of developing high cholesterol and heart disease. And research also links soluble fiber to lower total and LDL cholesterol levels because the soluble fiber binds to cholesterol and kind of helps usher them out of the body. But it can also interfere with the reabsorption of bile acids in the intestines, which are high in cholesterol and released into the intestine by the gallbladder to help with digestion of fat. So see, it all plays in with each other. Now, you know, while there's a lot of different kinds of soluble fibers, the study suggests that there isn't much difference in terms of how they positively impact cholesterol. And an example of a high fiber diet that is linked to cardiovascular benefits is the Mediterranean diet, which includes a lot of foods like vegetables, legumes, and whole grains and nuts. Now, the other flip side of this is it helps improve your digestion and helps promote gut health, which is what most of you are used to hearing about or learning about when you're talking about these things. So when we, when we look and understand really what's going on here, there's both types of fiber, um, are important for promoting gut health. Um, they, they both help in preventing constipation by bulking the stool and clearing out the digestive system and feeding beneficial probiotic bacteria. But does soluble fiber get digested? Right, that's the question you gotta ask you. So soluble fibers are considered to be a prebiotic. This means they're broken down by bacteria in the colon. Now soluble fiber helps feed beneficial bacteria in the human gut and it's fermented by good bacteria. So we talk about fermented foods being really good for your health. This is one of the reasons because they have many roles for promoting health when we have fermented foods. So the process of fermentation can wind up causing things like gas and bloating in some people, but otherwise it's a very healthy and promoting process. So again, the beans, right? It's a magical, the fruit, the more you eat, the more you do, or is that not a, it's not a fruit, right? But you know what I mean, right? There's those, those little kid sayings, but which fiber is best for diarrhea, for instance. So you're not getting the, the solid bowel movements. Um, if you struggle with loose stools, it's best to focus on increasing your soluble fiber intake. So insoluble fiber, might create more diarrhea or make it worse and it tends to speed up the transit transit time of food through the intestine. On the other hand, if you deal with constipation, increasing soluble fiber in your diet is a natural way to help reverse the problem. So the third benefit is also helping with metabolic um, health and also weight management. So there's plenty of evidence that diets high in fiber are protective against metabolic syndrome. You know, a condition which is marked by high levels of belly fat, high triglycerides, you name it, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, you know, and even obesity. But soluble fiber found in carbohydrate foods helps prolong stomach emptying. Partially, it does this by absorbing water in the stomach and the intestines. And then this helps increase the feeling of fullness and helps release sugar into the blood more slowly. Now, here's the deal. Because soluble fiber foods can promote Uh, I can never say that word, satiety, basically meaning that feeling of feeling full, they may help to control your appetite. So reduce cravings or snacking in between meals, even help with weight loss. And then it really helps stabilize your blood sugars. So there's a lot of studies out there that suggest when it comes to metabolic health, that the, the soluble fiber foods include an ability to help lower blood cholesterol and triglycerides, but also blood glucose. So eating that high fiber diet can promote insulin sensitivity and help reduce the inflammation, prevent obesity, all those things that are risk factors for type two diabetes. So here's the deal, soluble versus insoluble foods. Um, compared to soluble fiber, insoluble fiber is recommended more for relieving constipation, 
since it adds bulk to the stool, helps move the, the food through the GI tract, versus insoluble fiber is also beneficial, but it's going to help clear out, which is going to help clear out carcinogens, um, unhealthy particles from your GI tract, and that's why it can help prevent diverticulitis, heart disease, diabetes, even colorectal cancer. Now, insoluble fibers cannot be fully broken down or digested, so therefore some people feel that calories from fibrous foods shouldn't count towards their daily calorie intake. I'll leave that up to you, but some of the best insoluble fiber foods are wheat bran, oat bran, beans, legumes, vegetables, and whole grains. So just to name a few. So we're going to get into this in a little more depth, but I want to talk to you about the top 20 soluble fiber foods because that's really what we're going to be focusing on today. So when we look at this, how much should you take, right? Like what's recommended per day? Now here's the deal. The USDA recommends that adult men get about 30 grams or more of total fiber per day and adult women aim for about 25 grams or more. But then there's other studies that suggest that most Americans typically get less than 15 to 16 grams of total fiber on an average day. So at the end of the day, you don't need to spend too much time thinking about how many grams you're getting from each type of fiber. That's just way too much work. But as long as you're eating a variety of high fiber foods and you don't struggle with diarrhea or constipation on an ongoing basis, you should be just fine. That said, you may want to get more specifically focused on increasing your soluble fiber intake if you need help lowering your LDL cholesterol and consuming five to 10 grams of soluble fiber per day can help reduce the LDLs and cholesterol levels too. Now, you might be wondering if potatoes are high in soluble fibers um, or, or bananas high in insoluble fibers. So let's take a look at the, the soluble fiber food list first. So there's things like psyllium husk. Um, those are really great soluble foods, flax seeds, passion fruit. Um, I love passion fruit. It's pretty cool fruit. Whole grains like barley, oats, oat bran, um, amaranth, all great sources. Now wheat, rye, and barley are going to contain gluten. So if you're gluten sensitive, you're going to want to stay away from those things more. But you can get these in a lot of other forms like we just mentioned. Even things like lentils and other legumes like green peas is a great example of that. And then there's also beans including, you know, from ranging from black kidney, white, lima, even um, navy beans, edanami as well. But here's the deal. I like to stick, I like to kind of stay away from edanami if you can, just because those are really essentially soybeans. So if they're not a good source, we want to stay away from non-fermented soy products. Because you can also get this from things like tofu and tempeh, or tempeh, which is fermented soy. Um, Avocado is a great source. I love avocado. I mean, we put these in our smoothies, put them on your salads a really great source, a superfood in itself. So that's why I love avocado. Not only is it a superfood, hey, it has some awesome soluble fiber in it. And then we also look at things like Brussels sprouts, cabbage, broccoli, any of those cruciferous vegetables are a really great source. Again, another superfood too. Um, now we get into some things like sweet potatoes. Now these are gonna have a little bit more of a higher carb load than those veggies. So if you're trying to watch the carbs, you probably wanna stay away from the sweet potato more. You definitely wanna stay away from a, a regular potato. Um, because those are just going to have a lot higher carb intake. But hey, if you need it, that's not a problem. Asparagus, really great too. Um, love that. Turnips are great. Uh, we look at dried figs, prunes, apricots, and dates. Right? You always hear about, oh, I'm backed up. Eat those that prune juice. Right? So that's why those things do have that in them. Um, but also oranges and nectarines are another good source of fruit. Pears, apples, peaches. So there's multiple fruits you can use to get that 
that soluble fiber. And then there's even things like carrots, corn, and even macadamia nuts. So who doesn't love macadamia nuts? I know I do. Now there's, there's some different things we can do to supplement too, because obviously we want to get things from our food first, but we can also look at supplementation. So ideally, um, you'll get the fiber you need from your diet, right? All kinds of unprocessed plants. However, in some cases you might need to supplement and it can be a good addition to your diet, um, to prevent constipation or diarrhea. So fiber supplements can come in various forms, powders, pills, chewables, tablets, or capsules. There's even wafers. Um, you can get them in chocolates, all kinds of creative ways to get them into your body. But the term functional fiber is now used to describe fiber that's been extracted from a plant or an animal source, manufactured, or even synthesized, and then added to processed foods. So one of the most popular soluble fiber supplements is um, psyllium husk, which can be combined with water and taken by mouth um, to help with digestion and even like cholesterol management. Um, but um, psyllium is a soluble fiber that is sourced from seed husk of plants. So it's a really, it's, it is a pretty good source. Um, but there's also fiber supplements, including uh, Metamucil, Consol. Those are primarily made with psyllium. But those, again, be really careful about those things you get in the store because a lot of times they add other things and fillers that you just don't want in your body. But there's other soluble fiber supplements that are made with ingredients, including um, powdered you know, cellulose, gourd gum, pectin, acacia fiber, even like things called weak dextrin. So it's best to start with a low dose of fiber supplementation because you don't want to overdo it. You might have some issues and then just increase gradually based on your reaction. But the amount of fiber in different supplements varies by product. So it's always good to read dosage and really everyone's dosage is going to be a little bit different as well. But at the end of the day, you know, to help prevent digestive issues, including bloating and constipation, it's just best to add soluble fiber foods um, to gradually help that process and also drink plenty of water. That's one of the things I see people fail to do the most is just get the water intake in. It's so important. Uh, but it's really, it's possible for fiber supplements to interact with certain medications too. So like things like um, anything that's going to lower potentially um, your blood clotting factor. So if you're taking like warf warfarin, Coumadin, uh, cholesterol medications, aspirin, even Caesar medications, just consult your doctor too. Um, before really diving deep into the soluble fiber supplements, uh, because you know there's certain things that that'll lower blood sugar levels and they'll block absorption of certain drugs. So I mean, obviously at the end of the day, we want to be off those medications. We don't want to be on those for the rest of our life. And so hey, sometimes we just just a happy medium. Some medications you can get off immediately and you don't have to worry about it. Um, but others you might need to just hey work with your doctor to help wean off of those things. And if hey if you have a doctor that's not willing to do that with you, then my advice to you is go get another doctor. There's no reason why you have to be with that doctor just because, you know, your mom went to him for 20 years and helped her with all sorts of things. It doesn't mean it's the right doctor for you. So be aware of that, get on the game plan, create a, a strategy. And if you know, if your doctor's not willing to help you, then again, find a new doctor or start to work some things on your own. But at the end of the day, we don't want to be dependent on those medications. You know, there's very rare instances where you have to be on medications all the time. So if you can do things like supplement with soluble fibers, or if you can start to put more of those fiber foods into your daily life, it'll go a long ways. And remember your body needs no help healing. It's, it's just about removing those interferences. And the faster we can identify those interferences and the faster we can start to implement the action steps, they're going to help us remove the interferences and keep the interferences gone. The better off your life is going to be. Cause at the end of the day, you know, when we talk about different topics and we have different guests on here, it's not about, 
hey, what's the next quickest thing I can do to get myself better? It's about uncovering things so that you can start to be the doctor, you know, so that you can start to help educate yourself because I never want you to just take a doctor's word for it. Sure, it's important to have that that authoritative figure that knows some things that can help guide you through things, but always be a constructive thinker, a critical thinker, and understand what's going on in your body and in your life. And in the end of the day, you know your body better than anyone else. So with that said, I hope you got some impact from today. I hope you appreciated my story with the rattlesnake bite. I am fine. I am strong and healthy. Great. Good thing I got a good immune system and I get adjusted and, and apply these five foundations too. I'm sure that had to help some degree, but at the end of the day, um, take these principles, start to apply them, use them, be, be cautious with how you're taking care of your health. But at the end of the day, take action until next time. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please help more people in reaching their fullest potential and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. For show notes and other free resources we mentioned today, go to newedgewellness.com.